Happy Thanksgiving week, folks. I'm Graham Jesus Matthews, and welcome back to WrestleRant Radio for November 24th, 2015. We have a huge episode on tap for you here today. Probably the biggest episode ever. If not as big, then bigger than the Jericho interview I conducted a few months ago. That was back in March, and I couldn't air the interview until, like, September. I interviewed this man yesterday, and the audio will be up the very next day today on this episode of WrestleRant Radio. Yes, it's a holiday week. We are not phoning in in like WWE. Uh, We are delivering the goods here in today's show, an exclusive interview with former WCW and WWE World Champion Bill Goldberg. Yes, you heard that right. The former undefeated WCW superstar is on the show here today. We're talking all about his upcoming role in Checkpoint, which hits theaters Memorial Day weekend 2016. We're talking about acting versus wrestling, the Legends of Wrestling show that he appeared out back in June at City Field, which I was in attendance for, by the way. If Brock Lesnar was the right guy to end The Undertaker's WrestleMania streak, who he would want one more match with, what else he has coming down the pike, and so much more. It was a great 20 to 25 minute interview. The article form, the written form of the interview will be up either if not, uh, you know, excerpts or if not the full thing. It's going to be up on Bleacher Report this upcoming week, so be sure to be on the lookout for that. But the full, in-depth audio of the interview is on the show here today. It's awesome. He's a great dude. Had a great time talking to him. Um, And then after that, in the second half of the show, we have Brandon Dross coming on the show for the first time in nearly a year to help me review Survivor Series and maybe throw in a few raw thoughts as well on the road to TLC in just a couple weeks It's a huge show. It's a huge show on tap for you today. A lot of great stuff going on right now, and I forgot to plug this as well. My new podcast, Wrestle Culture, on the What Culture YouTube channel. It went up last Friday. We recorded it on Thursday. Kind of the same deal. Recorded it on Thursday, went up on Friday. Had a great time talking to Kenny McIntosh about Survivor Series, the current state of TNA and WWE. So much more. The podcast is up on their YouTube channel if you want to check it out. I don't know if it's a regular thing or if it was just a one-time experiment. We'll find out in coming days. I'll let you guys know on the Twitter and all the other social pages, social media pages. And um, that's just about it. Oh, and by the way, too, in the next couple weeks, we've got a lot of guests lined up, like a lot of guests lined up for the remainder of 2015 and so many more in the second half of 2016 too. Um, in the last couple days alone and in the coming days, I'll be talking to a UFC fighter. That interview should be up probably one of the final weeks after we leave Endicott College campus in the final few weeks of 2015 in December. So maybe the week of Christmas, we'll find out. And I got to conduct that interview tomorrow. So if all goes well, that should be up on December 22nd, I want to say. So be on the lookout for that. Then also I'll be talking to a current TNA wrestler who's, like all these people, I'll I'll say who they are after the interviews are conducted and they're up and as we get closer to the dates, we're a couple months away anyway, so it's really nothing too, too big, but had a pleasure talking to these people or will have a pleasure talking to these people this upcoming week. Then also we got a former TNA World Heavyweight Champion, he's no longer with the company, but I'll be talking to him to talk about all of his current projects and so much more in hour-long interview I got off the phone I got off the uh, phone with him a couple hours ago and that was an awesome interview can't wait to play that for you guys in the first two weeks I believe of 2016 or the maybe the first two or three weeks we'll have to wait and see but it, because it's an hour long I wanted to split it up I believe it was like an hour and 15 minutes I'm going to be splitting it up into two separate parts on not January 5th but maybe January 12th and January 19th and then we go back to campus by the 26th. 
where RJ and I will be reviewing the Warrior Rumble and the road to WrestleMania kicks off from there. And then in the coming weeks, in the next couple weeks, we've got a few people coming on um, who I'll be talking to in coming days and whatnot to help us review TLC, preview TLC, do a prediction panel, and so much more. So in short, in a nutshell, we got a huge rest of 2015 lined up for you guys. For you awesome fans of WrestleRant Radio and so much more, you great wrestling fans. So be on the lookout for that. I'm extremely excited for it. Hopefully you guys are, are as well. Big things popping, little things stopping. As MVP once said, I'm looking forward to it. It should be great. But like I said, guys, on the show today, Bill Goldberg talking about his time in WWE, his time acting and uh, filming Checkpoint, which, like I said, will be out in theaters Memorial Day weekend 2016. He's a great guy. Hopefully you guys enjoyed the interview. And as I mentioned one more time, the article form of the interview will be up this upcoming week. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Either tomorrow on Wednesday, I don't know about on Thanksgiving, but it should be up within the next week or so on Bleach Report. So be on the lookout for that. And as always, you know, stay tuned to my social media pages and I'll be updating you guys as we get closer. So I'm excited, guys. Check out the interview. I'm sure you're going to love it. How did the role for Checkpoint come about? Uh, you know, a number of people approached me with it. Uh, Thomas Churchill um, ultimately got in contact with me and, uh, Put it across my bow, and uh, you know, man, I read it. It uh, interests me and surprised me and intrigued me, and hence I made the phone call and committed. So over the past 15 years, you've done several movies, including Ready to Rumble, Half Past Dead 2, most notably The Longest Yard. Um, what did you learn from doing those movies that helped you film when you were filming for Checkpoint? Oh, God, the best advice uh, that I was ever, ever given was uh, by Burt Reynolds on the set of Longest Yard after I was in my trailer for probably six hours. He looks at me and he says, uh, are you all right, kid? And I said, no, I mean, these guys no respect at all. They don't tell you what's going on. And he puts his hand on my shoulder and he looks at me and he goes, kid, they paid me to sit in the trailer and I act for free. So if there's anything that I've ever acquired through the movie business as far as um, advice it is that that and uh, and uh, his name told me to never trust an agent a couple years ago which is a funny one but um, you know um, patience I think is the biggest biggest uh, factor in dealing with a, a large movie production Mm-hmm. Um, or whether, or any movie production, whether it's small budget, large budget, and patience. At the end of the day, everybody's working towards a common goal to, to entertain, and in this case, um, raise people's awareness, you know, more so than anything. So, I wouldn't say I'm a seasoned actor by any stretch of imagination. It's something that I, I do every once in a while. And, you know, this is a this this opportunity gives me a huge um, chance to thank the men and women who protect our freedom. I mean, I was at the 240th anniversary of the Marine Corps uh, at the Wounded Warrior West Battalion Ball two nights ago, three nights ago, and um, you know, shaking their hands and saying thank you is one thing, but being able to positively portray them in a, in a movie or, 
change public perception or help in their fight. You know, those are things that um, I value very much so and that uh, you can never thank them enough. Yeah, how much did that mean to you? I mean, this is very different from any other movie that you've done before, much like The Longest Yard, where it really is what you're, the character that you're portraying here is very serious and something that goes on every single day. So how much did that really mean to you? Oh, it meant everything to me. Absolutely everything, because it wasn't a, you know... Uh, the role of TJ can be can be done standing on my head. Any Anybody could do that role. Not anybody, but, you know, for a guy like me, that role was, was quite easy. Um, so I, I'm not stretching my acting legs by any by any amount of imagination, except for I do show emotion a little bit in this movie. Um, but, you know, for the opportunity to raise awareness and to, you know, employ a couple of my friends, my very close military buddies, you know, as military experts on the movie, uh, and to pay tribute to them in, in portraying someone like them, uh, you know, it's, it's also not a pat on the back, but it's, you know, it's a show of appreciation. Everybody does things for different reasons, and that's one of the reasons, one of the main reasons why I did this movie. Mm-hmm. And what would you say was your uh, your favorite part about filming Checkpoint? <sighs> favorite part about filming Checkpoint was, you know, uh, I mean, obviously for a guy like me, fight scenes are going to be fun. They're going to be great. Mm-hmm. They're going to be the best part. Um, to get to work with John Lewis, who's a uh, who I've been a fan of for years uh, in the mixed martial arts world, um, to get to finally meet him and to get to work with him, I mean, that was really cool. Um, you know, just just to get at the end of the day, it was a good, it was a great cast of characters, and um, to be able to uh, hang out in uh, North Carolina for a little bit, get a little bit of uh, another taste of the South. For three weeks and uh, get to rub shoulders with these people then it was a it was a wonderful experience it really was and, and at the end of the day it's a group of veterans not just in the movie but you know the, the guys putting this movie together mm-hmm. so uh you know it's a it's a big thank you to them and other than your role in the movie what do you think wrestling fans of yours would will enjoy uh, the most about uh checkpoint about checking it out what do you think uh, you know followers of yours from both wrestling and from your past movies will like the most about the movie I think it's reality, man. I mean, I think in this day and age, in, in the time that we live in, uh, there is nothing far-fetched about what's going on in this movie by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, it's not meant to scare anybody by any means, but it's meant to meant to raise awareness. It's meant to, 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 to uh, tap someone on the shoulder and say, you know what, turn around because this could be happening right in your backyard. And also, what do you think, I mean, there's been a lot of discussion in past wrestlers who have done movies and stuff like that, the similarities between wrestling and acting. Um, I mean, on the surface, it looks like there are similarities, but then you hear from other people that there aren't. So can you clear the air here? What do you think the similarities and differences are between being a wrestler and acting, so to speak, and then doing acting and filming movies? Were there a lot of similarities? Were there a lot of things in common? There's a lot, of, there's a lot in common. I mean, being a professional wrestler surely prepares you for any acting role in that we have to act you know, on live television. So there's a lot of pressure put there. Um, anytime you're able to get in front of a camera and have them yell cut and, you know, you reshoot the scene, fuck, I mean, are you kidding me? That's a, that's a, that's a huge advantage. 
So, I mean, uh, compared to what we do or what these guys do, you know, twice a week, three days a week, it's a walk in the park. Mm-hmm. As far as physicality, as far as fight scenes, we're, we're no different. And, and, and in some cases, we're even better than stunt coordinators. And also, um, you, oh, get, you get the best bang for the buck because you also get an actor and a stuntman at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's a lot different, of course, when you go from you know doing live shots on Raw and stuff like that, just one take, and that's it, and then going to film a movie where you have many shots to do it over if you get something wrong. Um, so, do, of course, that Absolutely. process... Absolutely. Therefore, you can perfect it. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the day, the, the, the finished product should be absolutely outstanding if you have guys like us mm-hmm. involved in it, you know, in that I'm not patting us on the back, but that's what we do. Mm-hmm. And, of course... You know, I mean, they shouldn't be surprised or amazed at the ability for us to do fight scenes and or stunts because that's what we do. Mm-hmm. And also, how does someone like The Rock, who has gone above and beyond in the movie world in the last 10, 15 years, how does someone like him aspire you to keep on doing movies and to find bigger roles and stuff like that going uh, going forward? How does he aspire to go forward and get bigger roles? Oh, I'm sorry. How does how, how does someone like The Rock inspire you as an actor to move forward and get bigger roles and find more movies roles such as Checkpoint? Oh, I love Rock to death, man, but he doesn't inspire me as an actor. I mean, come on. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, let's be perfectly honest. I mean, I love Rock to death. We're all different people. Rock's a showman. Mm-hmm. I mean, to think that Rock wasn't wasn't going to prosper uh, in this arena, you, you got to be uh, you got to be an imbecile. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this is something he's wanted to do his entire life. He's always been this guy, and more power to him. I think it's wonderful. I mean, the, the guy's extremely successful. He's rewritten the books when it comes to a, the transition between, you know, an athlete or, and an entertainer. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he, he's the new guy, and, and I love him to death, and I'm very, very happy for him and appreciative that he's able to follow his dream and do what he does. But that's, he's not me. I'm not him. I, I'm a... I'm a headbanger, man. I, I'd rather smash my head against something than, than look pretty, you know, walking down a red carpet. <laughs> I mean, it just is what it is. It's not good, bad, or indifferent. It's just we're two totally different people. Mm-hmm. And he inspires me in that he's a guy that does that's, that's had a dream and that's that's done whatever he has to do to pursue it, perfect it, and be the best at it. And I, I, I value that. I appreciate that. But it does not inspire me to do anything. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Let's let's be perfectly clear here. Um, I, I, I love and respect him, but I don't. I don't. You know, it, it, other people's actions like that don't don't give me like a uh, a glimmer of hope that I can do it. It's just, hey, man, if I want to do something, I'm going to do it. Period. End of story. Exactly. Um, I put my mind to it. I, I, I'm going to do it, and I and, and you know, it's great that people have have treaded the you know have. Uh, have paved the way for us, you know, like Arnold, Jesse, and stuff like that. We're all different guys. I mean, he's mm-hmm. inspired to do this his entire life, and me, I just want to sit on my ranch. <laughs> I just want to chill, man. I yeah. just want to work on cars. That's all I want to do. I got a car show. We were going to North Carolina in two weeks. You know, we're shooting another show. Hopefully, we'll get it out on history here next year. I mean, that to me is, is awesome. That's as good as any big action movie, because I get to do what I want. I get to hang out with my family. I get to drive fast cars. And that makes me happy. Mm-hmm. You know, I do a movie here and there. And, you know, I'm more like Austin than I am than I am Rock. Rock, excuse me, in that respect. 
So kind of on that same subject, how does it feel, do you enjoy kind of picking your spots and kind of doing this movie than kind of spending time with your family and spending time at home as opposed to being on the road every day, all day, all year long? Do you kind of prefer that lifestyle over the one that you previously had? Well, I'd say that's an absolute understatement. We all do what we can do. Hold on a second. We all sacrifice and we do what we have to do throughout our lives to attain the goal that we set. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, most of the time, and a lot of the time, that goal changes. But at the end of the day, I wanted to be a professional football player. I wanted professional football to help me um, live that life that I always wanted to live, which was sit back and relax, have a bunch of animals, have a great family, and just do whatever the hell I want. I'm getting ready to go to the grocery store and buy you know, 50 to 100 pounds of meat that I'm going to smoke for, for Thanksgiving. You know, I, 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 you know, I'll sit, be sitting out on the back deck drinking a case of beer. You know, for me, that's, that's, that's life. That's awesome. I'm with my family. I get to hang out, do whatever I want, I eat some good food. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't need to, I don't need the jet set LA life. I live an hour and a half from there, and if I want it, I can get it. Mm-hmm. You know, but, but I don't. Someone such as a Brock Lesnar as well kind of has done that over the last couple of years since coming back to the company. He's done a very uh, a part-time deal, kind of picking his spots. Do you think someone like a deal like that works for him? Like a of someone who, of course, you've worked with dating back to WrestleMania 20. Do you think a deal like that works for someone like him, a big money player that can kind of pick his spots? Absolutely. I think it's brilliant. You know, if there was one thing I learned from Hulk Hogan, it was less is more in the wrestling world. If you overexpose yourself, people don't want to see you. Mm-hmm. So you got to make the people pay... You know, or you got to pick your spots for the people to see the big, the, the big boys. You know, or they're not big boys. You don't set them up on that pedestal if you if you see them every flipping day. Mm-hmm. You know, there's nothing nothing special about it. Brock didn't invent that that spot, but he sure reinvented it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a huge uh, big money player. Brilliant! It's perfect for absolutely perfect for him. Perfect. Mm-hmm. And I love Brock to death, man. He's my best friend. You know, up in that business. You know, I, I, uh, he and I see eye to eye. We don't have to talk um, every day. We, uh, we, we know what each other's thinking. We, we, we are the same person in a lot of ways. You know, and uh, I don't eloquate a lot of the wrestling business to him by any stretch. We really never talk about it. Mm-hmm. We always talk about hanging heads, fighting, and and fast cars. So. <laughs> Of course, also on that subject, speaking of Brock Lesnar, I mean, you mentioned that you guys are very good friends, and this is kind of an unrelated note, but do you feel like he was the right guy to break the Undertaker's streak? I mean, he, he feels like he would have been the perfect fit, but what are your thoughts on that? Who else is going to break it? Who else legitimately is going to break one of the one of the most famous people who have ever stepped in a wrestling ring? Mm-hmm. If there's anybody that ever had, was worthy of it, Brock Lesnar's the guy. He's an above and beyond superstar, of course. But kind of in between your gigs of acting and, and everything else that you're doing at the moment, um, you made an appearance at Legends of Wrestling a couple months ago at City Field. Did getting back in the ring and delivering your finisher, the uh, the jackhammer to gold at uh, Scott Steiner in the middle of the ring, kind of reignite your passion for wrestling by any chance? <laughs> Always, man. It's, hey, every time I walk down the street and somebody says, "Hey, when you get back in the ring," or "Hey, we loved what you did," you know, I mean, it's a, it's it's really awesome for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but then you look at the reality of it. Hey, man, I own part of the Legends of Wrestling. And the reason why I show up there and I 
do the things that I do from time to time physically is because if there's ever a venue where I can do it, it's a place where I control it. You know, I've mm-hmm. said that in the past. And, uh, you know, if these are fun shows. They're family-oriented shows. It's not a huge, huge uh, uh, stage by any stretch of imagination, but that's not the point. The point here is that, you know, the, the people that, that attend these shows are going to get something completely special and, and uh, unique. So, uh, hey, the, uh, the jackhammer, I had no idea I was going to do that. We just really? did that on the fly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Just did it on the fly. What, 48 years old? I don't know. Too many people who can lift our boy, you know, at 320 after not <laughs> doing the jackhammer for 11 years. You know, so, yes, there was a little bit of enthusiasm going on there. And it was fun, man. I, I, I loved running over Steiner. That was a lot of fun, too. Yeah, I was going to say, I was at that show, the Legends of Wrestling show at City Field a couple months ago back in June. Great show, went off without a hitch. But yeah, that was your first jackhammer in 11 years. How did, how did that feel, being able to bust that out on Scott Steiner? Basically, out of nowhere, that was was that an audible? Or that some of you guys just did in the fly? Uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, I can't remember his name. The kid who asked me, who, who just shot me, hey, he goes, hey, jackhammer me. I'm like, Gallows. Oh, Luke Gallows, yep. Luke, Doc Gallows. Yeah, Pushing like 320. Yeah. So, and the last time I jackhammered somebody was in Guyana when I did it to to uh, to him just for fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, just kind of in between shows to see if I could still do it. And this was, I don't know, that was 10 years ago. Wow. So, so just by coincidence, it was the same guy that you delivered to, Doc Gallows. That's funny. Very coincidental. And you know what? I love the kid. Yeah. The kid's a great, he's a great kid. I mean, he, he's, he's as good as they get. Was there anyone that you... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, was there anyone on that show on Legends of Wrestling that you either... Uh, that worked on the show or just in the business in general? Do you feel like can be a big money player like yourself or Brock Lesnar or Undertaker or just someone be a big-time player that you've seen nowadays, a former football player like yourself, like Roman Reigns? Does anyone on the circuit today kind of stand out in being a big money player in the future in the wrestling, biz- in the wrestling business? Yeah, I'm, a, I'm the wrong guy to ask that man because I don't I don't know the, I don't know the scene by any stretch I don't know who the new hot guys are mm-hmm. I would uh, I, 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 I no. oh but even regardless though I mean moving forward I mean WWE has their WrestleMania show coming up in April and they're trying to load the lineup as much as uh, as much as possible I know you've had interactions with Stone Cold not about WrestleMania but you guys are good friends and you've had a lot of back and forth in recent weeks um, do you feel like with, with they're trying to load the card they're trying to load a hundred thousand people into that AT&T Stadium in Arlington. First of all, do you think that's a realistic goal to fill that 100,000 people? Do you think they'll be able to do it? I think it's realistic. I don't know in this day and age with the, uh, with the landscape of the talent that they have and the ability to bring other people in if they can do it. But I think it's attainable. No question. I mean, it's something uh, I'm sure Ronda Rousey is going to do something with it or Ali Owen. God only knows how they're going to do this. But... Mm-hmm. I mean, um, who knows, man? But it, it's it's almost it's you know, almost December. Nobody's contacting me, and even the you know not to say they're not even doing anything that they did. <coughs> so who knows? I don't foresee myself there by any stretch. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, I mean, if, if you were to have one more match, whether it be for WWE or elsewhere, whether it be for Legends of Wrestling or whatever, who would be your ultimate dream opponent? If you could work anyone, say Brock Lesnar worked Legends of Wrestling, would you be able to work him or anyone that you wish? 
It'd be Austin, man. I mean, there's no question. Mm-hmm. No question. People would people would die for that match. Um, he's a buddy of mine. No, he's... I'm not going to say he's incredible, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's a guy that I very much respect because of what he's done and, and who he is. I don't care how talented you are in any field. If you're not a good person, I ain't going to respect you. Mm-hmm. And he's a good guy. So, um, I think the intrigue there between me and I are, is, is huge. Well, I don't think I don't think there'd ever be a matchup compared to that one. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really don't. I just I just don't. Well, it's a big money match, and it's funny too because you came into the company the day after he retired at WrestleMania 19. It could not have been any closer. I mean, you just came in in the moment that he retired. Do you feel like that should have been, had he been healthy enough, the money match to do, other than you and Brock at WrestleMania 20 the following year, do you think that was a mistake that they didn't go with ultimately that matchup the following year? I have no idea why they they kept us apart. I mean, obviously the physical aspect, you know, has to play into it. You know, that he, he He's hurt, man, you know. Yeah. That's, that's not to mess around with. I never know. I, I still, to this day, still don't know the extent of that injury and what actually happened. And, um, but the fact is, is that that's something you do not mess around with. But, man, they, they could have done something. I mean, they, they, they could have done something. I mean, please. When they left so much money on the table with the potential of he and I getting in the ring together, I just, I, I'll never understand that. It's mind-boggling. You were the biggest face of WCW at the same time that he was the biggest face of the Attitude Era in WWE. So, like you said, left a, money in the lo- left a lot of money on the table there. But getting back to Checkpoint, after filming Checkpoint, is there any other... Is acting something that you want to do more of going forward? Oh, absolutely, man. I got... God, I got... Uh, I got four scripts. As, as the actors say, I got four scripts on the table right now. Well, I do, <laughs> you know. But, you know, at the end of the day, I mean... It, at any given time, you can have a number of projects, whether they be small or large. It's all about intrigue. It's all about um, catching my eye. And um, I, like I said, the checkpoint thing was easy, but I didn't. I didn't do it because it was easy, and I didn't do it for a paycheck. I did it because I had a responsibility. And if something comes across my desk, and uh, it, it, I don't want to say rekindles, but it sparks an emotion or evokes uh, a responsibility that I can use it as a pathway to, to, to do better, you know, then I'll do it. And um, I take everything into consideration, uh, location, duration, um, content is key, but um, I enjoy it if it can be a controlled situation mm-hmm. for the most part. I mean, Hollywood isn't. It's very tough. These big studios and these big productions, I mean, you're you're one of the guys and you're, you're on the clock and you're just hanging out. Um, I'm almost 49 years old, man, and I'm, I'm kind of done doing that. <laughs> so, if I, can, if I can't really dictate what's going on, man, I'd rather, I'd rather be a mechanic. You know, well, you're at a stage in your career where I feel like you can do that, and you have been doing that with Checkpoint and several other acting gigs that you got, like the show that you mentioned that you've got coming up. But uh, finally, other than maybe one more match and the acting that you have coming up and whatnot, um, are there any other endeavors that you wish to explore going forward? Oh, man, you know, it's a great question uh, because I always, uh, my, my, I think human value is based upon reinvention, is based upon 
drive. It's based upon a lot of things, but you know, you're not you're not spinning your wheels doing the same thing all the time. What I want to do next, man, I really have no idea. Um, I really don't. Um, they're they're you aspire to be a lot of things. You aspire to do a lot of things, and I've I've, I've been a lot and I've done a lot and. I truly just want to be the best father and the best husband that I could be the rest of my life, and that's the role that I want to lead. And, um, you know, maybe I can pick some acting roles up just to make me be a better guy at, at both of those. I, I, I don't know. Hey, I'd love to do a Twins, or I'd love to do a Kindergarten Cop. I'd love to do some kind of stuff like that. So, um, who knows, man? Yeah, you never know what the future holds. Looking forward to seeing what else you do in the future. But you guys can check out Checkpoint in theaters Memorial Day week in 2016. Bill, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it, man. Pleasure, brother. Is Bill Goldberg not great? The guy is awesome. Thanks once again to him for giving me his time for an awesome interview right here exclusively on WrestleRant Radio. And like I said at the end there, be sure to check out Checkpoint in theaters Memorial Day weekend 2016. But now we shift gears and set our focus on Survivor Series from this past Sunday night, offering my in-depth analysis on the show. Can't wait to break it down with you guys. Probably more excited for reviewing it than I am for watching it. I mean, it was it was an okay show. Let's be honest. I mean, a lot of people did not like it. Understandably so. I enjoyed it a hell of a lot more than I did Raw, which I thought was absolutely awful. Like I said, I probably will not give my full Raw review of the show here today. I'll probably just give... You know, sprinkle some thoughts from Raw throughout the show here today. I'll be talking a little bit about that um, in reviewing Survivor Series. But first and foremost, I did want to talk about this briefly. Solomon Crow from NXT was released today. Um, or at least speculation has shown that he asked for his release and he was granted it, unsurprisingly. The guy hasn't been on TV at all. And I feel really bad. I mean, it really does suck. I mean, it's not like he was a big-time player or anything like that. The guy was barely on TV. He's been on NXT TV since, I want to say, February. I know he debuted right after the February special with the whole hacker gimmick. And that's what I liked most about Solomon Crow. Maybe dating back to late 2013, I want to say. However long it was, the gimmick had been in the works, or he had been in the works to come up on NXT for a very long time. Dating back to early 2014, I remember reading reports that he was supposed to come on um, NXT, and they actually filmed a debut match for the guy but they nixed it when they taped all new uh, on a whole new set of tapings instead, and Adam Rose debuted, but the Solomon Crow didn't. So this whole thing happened, and he never made TV until just earlier this year. But even upon his debut, they did nothing with the guy. I think he won maybe one or two matches against C.J. Parker and maybe Bull Dempsey. Other than that, I think he's lost every other match that he's had. And it's such a shame, too. I'm not a huge indie mark. Like, I don't know everyone on the independent scene, but I had seen enough of him on the independent scene as Sammy Callahan and enough of his NXT stuff before he came to TV to know that this guy was actually really good. I'm not saying he could have been NXT champion or would have, you know, flourished in the main roster. The guy was pretty small. But in the ring, he seemed pretty good. I thought the hacker gimmick above, above all else was so cool. It was something that we had never seen before. And I guess you can only really go so so far with it. I understand that. But they never really gave it a chance to flourish or succeed or to shine at all. Like I said, he came on NXT TV. He maybe beat CJ Parker once or twice and went on to do nothing. I can't even give you a notable match to watch from this guy on NXT TV because he didn't feud with anybody. I think he had maybe one match in the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic alongside Neville. And I thought for a second 
They were planting the siege for a future heel turn from him. They kind of wasted Neville's return in NXT for nothing for a random-ass round one match in the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic. It was cool to see him, but I thought they were going to be building to a feud between him and Solomon Crow and a heel turn for him because they were kind of playing up the story how he never won a match. And it led to nothing. He might have been on TV once or twice after that, and that was it. The guy was never on NXT again. I can't even tell you the last time he was on NXT TV. And then um, as of this morning, someone pointed out that his uh, profile had been taken off WWE.com, and then it was subsequently revealed from maybe PW Insider that, um, don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure it's PW Insider. Maybe more details will be released by Wednesday, but this is all kind of breaking news as of today that he asked for his release, and he was granted it. I mean, I can't blame the guy at all. If he had been there for two or three years, and they didn't bring you up to TV for a while, I think at one point Triple H wasn't high on the gimmick. Um, Again, don't quote me on that. I forgot where I read it, but I'm pretty sure that might have been the reason why he wasn't brought up when he was to begin with many years ago, because I think Triple H was not a fan of the hacker gimmick. And when he did debut, he did have the hacker gimmick to an extent, but they didn't really go all the way with it. They kind of teased that, you know, like these malfunctions were going on in NXT and he wanted to be NXT champion, stuff like that. But other than that, he really wasn't a hacker like guy. I think he was kind of, he was a baby face, but I don't know. It was weird because his matches weren't really long. His pro, he never got any promo time at all. So you really had no reason to care about the guy. And it's been six or seven months. This guy's been doing nothing on NXT. Can't say I blame him. You know, Caval was the same. I think he got released. Caval did. I think he later revealed. But there's a lot of guys in developmental. I think CJ Parker was one of them that he knew that he wasn't going to get above a certain level. And he just left. And I feel like CJ Parker, I was never a huge fan of his. I felt like, you know, he had to leave. He was like the designated jobber for NXT. And after he left, Solomon Crow kind of took over that position. But I feel like the biggest difference between a CJ Parker and a Solomon Crow was that a Solomon Crow could go farther in WWE. His gimmick interested me. The whole environmentalist thing for CJ Parker was fine. I didn't hate it. I mean, as a heel, I did. But I never saw him getting really anywhere in NXT. He was, you know, a Heath Slater uh, of the show. Solomon Crow, I saw a lot more potential in him as an entering talent, as a character, and they just did nothing. Again, maybe it's because Triple H wasn't high on the guy. And it's weird to say that, oh, NXT wasted this guy, because how often does that happen? You know, I know the show is only an hour long, um, but you look at the roster up and down, a lot of these guys, even if they aren't being used their fullest, fullest extent, at least they have a character, like a Bull Dempsey with the bull fit thing. Even Ty Dillinger, the guy is an, a glorified loser, yet he has the 10 count and he's over as all hell in front of Full Sail University. Solomon Crow did not have a character. He had a couple bad theme songs and a, a, a unique haircut, and that was it. On the surface, for, to a casual fan, why would anyone care about that? But if you saw his work on the indie scene, what he did before he debuted on NXT TV, his promos, the guy was actually really good, and he never gave him a chance to run with the ball, gave, never gave him the ball to run with as the character on the show. And again, it's weird to say, because 90% of the roster is used properly, whether they are winning or losing, or they're, they're a champion or a jobber or whatever. Everyone has a character that I care about. Solomon Crow just was never on TV enough to anyone to, for, for any casual viewer of, of the show, of NXT, to really care about him. So I can't say I'm shocked by the release, but it does disappoint me that WWE never really allowed him to shine. I mean, he could always be back, but I think the general consensus is that he's probably going to go back to doing indies and honing his craft there. And it's better to go back and do indies and probably make the same amount of money that he was making in NXT. I mean, I know you're getting a paycheck from WWE, but from what I understand, the people 
the money that the people in the NXT make is not extraordinary compared to the people on the main roster, if that makes sense. So he's probably going to make the same money as he probably would have been in NXT anyway and have more fun. You know, if he's not even on TV and he's not doing anything, you would see him on the WWE list from time to time. You could tell he's a fan, and that's what I liked about Solomon Crow, not just because he's a fan, but he knows the business inside and out. He has all the tools. He can talk. He can wrestle, but... You know, lack of character, motivation, and nobody cared. So, again, I'm not shocked that he's gone from NXT. It does disappoint me, though. And um, as cliche as it sounds, I wish him all the best in his future endeavors, and hopefully he can find more success on the indie scene than he could have uh, or than he was in NXT before he, you know, left the company. But anyway, we move forward now to Survivor Series, and I don't want to spend too much time on this show. I mean, There's really not too much to talk about. A lot of it was very cut and dry, unfortunately, which is not, you know, in some cases, it's pretty simple, simple and effective. This show, I mean, for the most part, like I said, I enjoyed it. And that's just because I'm a giant mark. But I mean, I I thought the show, not to say it was good, I liked it. I thought the first hour was really good. The pre-show match, which saw Goldust, the returning Goldust, which was great. Tedis O'Neill, who replaced Cesaro. Oh, I'll also talk about that in a minute, too. Um, Neville and the Dudley Boys beat Miz, Bo Dallas, and the Cosmic Wasteland in a traditional Survivor Series elimination tag team match, which was fun. I thought it was better than the other one, honestly, um, but it just boggled my mind. They didn't even bother to announce these matches before the show. Like, how could they expect anyone to give a shit about these matches if you don't even know who's in them and none of the people involved have any real feud going on? The Usos were kind of on and off feuding with the New Day going into this pay-per-view to the point where I thought they were going to have a tag team title match. Boy, was I wrong. We got that tag team match instead, the uh, traditional tag team match, which really wasn't that much better, and they probably should have scrapped that whole thing. But like I said about the pre-show match, it's cool to see Goldust back. And a lot of people have been asking me, you know, specifically in hashtag AskGSM this past week, um, do I see Goldust rekindling his rivalry with, with Stardust going forward? Now, based off of Raw, it looks like that might be the direction they're heading in. I'm not holding my breath only because we have seen this time and time and time and time again, and I'm not even exaggerating. I mean, I said it in the Q&A video on Monday that we have seen this feud. How many times has it been teased? How many times could they have done it in the last, no joke, four or five years? They could have done it with Cody versus Goldust at WrestleMania 28 with Cody as the Intercontinental Champion and Goldust getting one last match. Goldust pitched it. They shot it down. Vince did, I believe. Then at 29, Goldust came back at the Royal Rumble in 2013, had an awesome return, you know, battled with Cody for a little while, got eliminated by Cody. I even thought at the time when Cody was doing the Road Scholar shtick that him and Standout could have faced Goldust and Booker T for one more match at WrestleMania 29, and Goldust didn't return at that point in time. You fast forward to WrestleMania 30 when Goldust and Cody had just dropped the tag team titles at the Royal Rumble that um, that January to the New Age Outlaws, they thought, Great. They can finally go their separate ways. Maybe you turn Cody heel. I wanted to go Goldust to go heel because I thought, you know, go back to his traditional days. You know, the original Goldust from 1995, not the androgynous Goldust, but he was a great freaking heel back in 95, 96. And more importantly, Cody could be, you know, built up to be this breakout babyface, and they didn't do it. And then again for a fourth straight year. And I've this is ridiculous. I mean, it's, before I even get into that, the funny thing about this is, is that. And I'll probably make this into a clip for the YouTube channel, but one of the very, I think even if not the first clip I ever produced for WrestleRant Radio, one of the excerpts of this show dating back to October of 2013 when the show first debuted on EC Radio, the first clip I ever produced 
was why Goldust and Cody Rhodes should have a match at WrestleMania 30, and they did not do it. And, and it's amazing to me that two years have gone by, and I'm still complaining about this because I feel like it's the right thing to do. Um, but anyway, at WrestleMania 31, they had the feud going. They had the match at Fastlane, but I guess the negative reaction online to the match and in the arena kind of scared officials off from doing a rematch, and they nixed the feud, which was ridiculous because Stardust was involved in the ladder match, which was great, but you could have taken him out, and it wouldn't have mattered a freaking a freaking difference at all. It wouldn't have mattered whatsoever because he didn't win. He didn't have any, you know, major spots in that match. So what did it matter? You could have done gold or at least put Goldust in the match. You know, it was ridiculous that Goldust was in the battle royal, and him and Stardust had nothing to do with each other on that show. And that was the perfect opportunity to bring back Cody Rhodes. I've kind of cooled off on that as in the last couple of months just because I know how much the Stardust character means to Cody and how much fun he has doing it. Great for him. I just feel like long-term he will find more success as Cody than as Stardust. He's probably not going to be booked properly either way. <clears throat> either way. It's not like before he was Stardust. <clears throat> he was some main event player. I mean, he could have been, but they botched any momentum he had after they dropped the tag team titles, and both of them became... Him and Goldust became glorified losers for the most part in early 2014. But anyway... Um, I just thought, you know, especially now after their father has passed away and I thought, you know, Cody has talked about it before in past blogs as to why it would have been so cheap for him to come back as Cody Rhodes after Dusty passed away. And I absolutely agree. I mean, at the time I didn't, I thought they really made a mistake by not making him Cody Rhodes upon his return, but I can see where he's coming from. But I feel like enough time has passed since the dust, since the passing of Dusty that it doesn't really feel like they're cashing in on Dusty's death. I'm not not saying that he should become Cody because of his father. He should become Cody Rhodes again because that's the character that people can connect with the most. And I hate the argument that people, when people say that he's not connecting as a babyface or that he wasn't connecting as a babyface before he became Stardust. Oh, he's a loser. He has no personality. He can't go in the ring. Which is absolute which is absolute BS. The guy was over. I was just watching Survivor Series 2013. Terrible show. I would not recommend that you do the same. But on that show, in the midst of his tag team title run with Goldust, the guy was over. People liked Cody for Cody. And I'm, he was not just over because of Goldust and their whole team. No, he was over before that. You go back to his match with Randy Orton on I think it might have been the Labor Day edition of Raw in that year. And him and Orton had a great freaking match. People were so excited to see Cody Rhodes finally getting an opportunity to shine and even defeat. He looked great. And then they fired him and they did the whole authority, you know, shield angle, which was amazing. And the whole tag team title run was amazing. But from that point forward, they just didn't follow up on the momentum properly. And I feel like if we can get that Cody Rhodes back, not mustache Cody Rhodes or dashing Cody Rhodes or freaking the mask wearing Cody Rhodes if we get that pure Cody Rhodes from late 2013 back as a baby face then I'm all for it the guy is money and the guy is only 30 31 years old there's still time but don't take that as an excuse to not push him right now again I hate to sound like I'm complaining because I've said this time and time and time again over the last three to four past freaking years because I feel like they should have capitalized on this a long time ago and just because they're feuding now, Goldust and Stardust, that does not mean they have anything special in mind for WrestleMania. That's pretty far-fetched. I've learned that over the past four years. But it would be great if by some glimmer of hope that they can have a match at WrestleMania dedicated to their father and afterwards they hug and Stardust becomes Goldust, or he rather becomes Cody Rhodes again. I feel like that would be amazing. Give them their moment, have Goldust go off on a high note, the guy looked great on Sunday. He had an awesome showing in that tag team match, but 
I mean, it's not a feud that's going to light the world on fire because, you know, they took, you know, Goldust was gone for so long and it really has lost its steam. And they were involved in an undercard match on Raw this past week with the Ascension and the primetime players. But I still feel like they can have a magical moment at WrestleMania, even if it's on the pre-show um, over the next couple months. I mean, WrestleMania is not for another three or four months, so I doubt it's going to drag out that long. But it would be nice if they gave them their WrestleMania moment and blew off the Stardust character there as well as Goldust's uh, career. So anyway, in the time that we have left, like I said, I wanted to talk about more stuff like that than the pay-per-view itself, because I thought the pay-per-view really wasn't all that great, to be quite honest with you. I know anyone who's watched that has to agree with me there. The pay-per-view was not amazing. Survivor Series I enjoyed, but it just it wasn't a great show. It was very, very predictable, which in some cases works, but on Sunday, they needed to hit a home run in order to... Um, really convince fans that the product is changing. Now, I thought the last couple of weeks of Raw before the pay-per-view were great. I thought all four weeks after Hell in a Cell, Hell in a Cell onward were awesome. But then we're all we're back to the status quo as of Survivor Series, which sucks. And I'll get back to Sheamus winning the belt in a second. Let's start at the beginning here. Um, the start of the show, Roman Reigns beating Alberto Del Rio in a semifinals match in the WWE World Heavyweight Championship Tournament. Predictable outcome, but still, I thought the two had a very good match. I said that in an article for uh, Bleach Report on Saturday, and they did just that. I thought they exceeded expectations, had a very good opener, and I mean, granted, if they took place, I thought WWE was very wise to have their match go first, because you know the fans were going to be hot for Ambrose and Owens regardless, and it might not have been the same for Reigns and Del Rio, because you know on the surface, both guys can be pretty boring in the ring. You know, sometimes, but other times they can work really well, depending on what their, you know, who their opponent is. But anyway, I thought it was a very quality match, despite the ending outcome. I never really thought for a second Del Rio had any chance of winning, but he did put up a good fight, had a very good match against Roman Reigns, and kicked off the show on a high note. In our second semifinals match of the night in the WWE World Heavyweight Championship Tournament, we had Dean Ambrose taking on the Intercontinental Champion Kevin Owens in a non-title match. Another very good match. If you ask me which one was better between this one and the opener... It's hard. I might even say the opener, which is really bizarre to say considering who was involved. But I thought even still, this was a very, very good match too. Ambrose and Owens, a lot like Reigns and Del Rio, have not worked all that much together at all. They had one match on SmackDown a few weeks ago. But other than that, they have never had any one-on-one matches in WWE before. So it was refreshing. And it also kind of kicked off their feud going into seemingly TLC. And if they can have a ladder match... Similar to the ladder match that we had for the IC title last year between Dolph Ziggler and Luke Harper. If they can have a match like that, I'm all for it. These guys could really do some damage with, to each other in a TLC environment. And Ambrose was in the main event last year with Bray Wyatt. And I thought that was a good match. Not amazing, but it was a pretty good TLC match. And uh, Kevin Owens, like we saw in his match with Finn Balor, can really go all out in that kind of environment. So I feel like that would be the best stipulation for those two at TLC. Um, if they, you know, if they end up going that direction, but anyway, going back to the pay, uh, the pay per view match, I thought it was good. Ambrose and Owens delivering a um, pretty quality match from an in ring standpoint. Again, not a really, I mean, it was a little less predictable than the previous match, but still, in the end, it was Ambrose who advanced the main event to face Roman Reigns for the vacant title, which I'll get back to in a little bit. So after that, in a traditional five on five elimination Survivor Series tag team match, we had Ryback, the Usos, and Lucha Dragons against Sheamus, King Barrett, and the New Day. And like I said at the start of the show, it's so mind-boggling to me that they didn't even bother to announce who was involved in either match before they had them. In either match, not even the freaking kickoff match, did they announce the participants or the one of the actual show. 
We didn't even know we were going to have one in the show. The only time, I mean, it had been removed from the website a few times. It was ridiculous. It was teased at one point, and it was taken off the website, and Michael Cole alluded to it on the kickoff show, but by that point, it's way too late. Like, what the fuck are you doing? I mean, these are one of the biggest parts, the biggest part about the Survivor Series pay-per-views, and I'm a traditionalist. I'm an old-school fan. I wasn't, you know, watching in the 80s or anything like that, but I feel... I'm more old school in my, you know, my views of wrestling, I guess, if that makes any sense. And I just feel like, you know, this match has been an integral part of this pay-per-view dating back to 1987 when the event was um, originated. And even still, they go back go back two or three weeks ago, right before Rollins got hurt, we had that great five-on-five elimination tag team match on Raw, which probably should have happened to the pay-per-view. But anyway, um, yeah, we... Leading up to that match, if you can recall, on that episode of Monday Night Raw, they showed various v- recaps of the most notable five-on-five traditional Survivor Series tag team matches over the past two and a half decades. We had the very first one with with the Honky Tonk Man and Macho Man Randy Savage's team, I'm pretty sure it was, in 87. Then they showed clips from the one in 2005 between Team Raw and Team SmackDown when the brand split still meant something. And then they showed clips of last year, like the main event from last year. It's not like the the, the five on five traditional elimination tag team match has meant nothing over the last ten years. It took the main event slot of last year's pay per view. They stole the freaking pay per view on one of those matches. And granted, the authorities' jobs were on the line. John Cena and his teammates, or maybe just the teammates, their jobs were on the line. So it wasn't they weren't just going into a cold. I get that, but still. It ended the show for the first time in, like, I think, nine years or something like that. We had a traditional, in eight or nine years, anyway, we had a traditional elimination tag team match in the main event. Now, on this show, we didn't even know who was going to be in it. And I really, honestly think that hurt this match a lot. I did not care who won. I liked the Usos. I liked Ryback. I love Ryback. I love the Lucha Dragons. I like Sheamus. I like Barrett. I like the New Day. But I just couldn't bring myself to care about this match. Barrett, unsurprisingly, was taken out pretty quickly. Um, after I think he took out Sin Cara, or maybe Sheamus, I think I'm pretty sure it was Sheamus who took out Sin Cara, and then Sin Cara got taken out, Jimmy Uso got taken out, and then the New Day, Big E got eliminated by the Usos, and the New Day just walked off, so that was kind of disappointing, and I, I could see them getting heel heat for it, but it did nothing for the match itself, and then in the end it was Ryback versus... Jay Uso, Ryback and Jay Uso and uh, Kalisto versus Sheamus. And I've had a few people ask me on Twitter over the last couple days, uh, why didn't you think it made sense to do a three-on-one scenario? Did you just want Sheamus to beat them all? No, I'm not saying I wanted Sheamus. The, the fact the guy was made to look like a complete puss before he went in to cash in and become WWE World Heavyweight Champion at the end of the night and on this show and in this match, he gets pinned by Ryback of all people. And I love Ryback, but... He just beat technically the World Heavyweight Champion. I mean, who hasn't beaten Sheamus in the last couple of months? But that's another rant for later on in the show. I just thought, not to say that Sheamus should have won here, but just the three-on-one handicap booking of it. Like, why would you book yourself in a situation where it's three baby faces versus one heel? Like, it makes no sense. It's not even like one of those situations where you want to see the heel get their ass kicked because Sheamus gets his ass kicked every single week. Like, why do I care to see him overcome the odds? It was the wrong story to tell. The wrong people were in the match. I didn't care. It was cool to see Ryback and Kalisto get thrown a bone for once. I just didn't care. And it did nothing to help Sheamus either. The guy went in the cash in and become a champion. I get that. But before that, the guy was a loser. He still is a loser until they can turn his booking around. And I just hate. And I can see why it worked a couple years ago. But I just hate when they had the Money in the Bank holders 
lose and 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 then cash in and think it's going to be a total surprise. It wasn't a surprise. It was probably the most predictable path the, the most predictable path I could have ever taken and it's just it boggles my mind. Just boggles my mind. Sheamus it does it doesn't these guys no favors to have them lose and lose and lose and then to cash in and in shocking fashion. It people just look at him like a loser holding a, a meaningless title. It just does the belt no favors. It does Sheamus no favors. And it's even worse when the guy holding the briefcase is somebody that the crowd could not give two shits about. At least when Dolph Ziggler lost and lost and lost, he got a few big wins here and there. Sheamus has not gotten any big wins at all in the last five months. No one cares about Sheamus. And I'll get back to that when I talk about the conclusion of the show. But at least guys like Miz, when he held the briefcase anyway, people cared about him despite losing. He cashed in and people cared. Ziggler, now one of the biggest reactions in Raw history. Need I go on? I mean, Randy Orton, Johnson, they didn't lose. But you know what I mean. A lot of these people... Daniel Bryan is another prime example of a guy who lost and lost and lost. Yet people still cared because he was over. Sheamus is not over. So the fact they had him lose on the show, only to cash in in the main event, was ludicrous to me. But we'll get back to Sheamus after I talk about the WWE title match in the main event. So after that match, we had Charlotte beating Paige to retain the Divas title. A good match, and I talked about it on Twitter. I thought it was a very good match from a storytelling standpoint. From an entering standpoint, the crowd couldn't have cared at all. And I'm usually hard on Atlanta. No, you know, ill feelings towards anyone in the Atlanta area, but they've just never been my favorite crowd because traditionally in the shows that I've seen that have taken place in Atlanta, and WWE, I'm not talking about like when Goldberg won the WCW title, you know, perfect transition for my interview with him before. But I'm not talking about like in the WCW days when, you know, WCW, uh, they called Atlanta home. I'm not talking about 10, 15 years ago. I'm talking about like the last 10 years. Any show that WWE has had in Atlanta is just not good. The crowd doesn't care. They're quiet, whatever. And on this show, this was one of the rare times where I will defend Atlanta. And I thought they were very much, very much justified in their silence during the course of this show. It's not their fault that they were a bad crowd. They had no reason to care about anything. On this show, the two openers they were hot for because we were given a reason to care. The women's match, other than the awful, awful, awful Reed Flair line that we talked about last week here on the show, I won't go into any more depth with it or any more detail about it. Um, You you know, the clips on the YouTube channel if you want to check it out, my controversy or my discussion with RJ about it. Other than that, they have done nothing to make me care about that feud, so they were completely justified in being silent. And it looks like the feud's you know, carrying on, so they probably should have delivered, uh, I mean, I hate to say a more screwier finish, but, in you know, I know Paige on Raw accused Charlotte of cheating, just, ah, I don't care. I mean, that's not really the best way to build to a rematch, but at least she attacked her afterwards, so there was that. But anyway, a good match, a lousy crowd reaction, but rightfully so, it should have been given the build that this um, feud had received going into Survivor Series. After that, Dolph Ziggler and Tyler Breeze, same thing, crowd just was totally dead. They had a good match, I'm glad Breeze won, but again, they took a few weeks off from the feud, so why would you expect the crowd to care before they just randomly rekindled it on SmackDown? On SmackDown, a show that barely anyone watches, two days, three days before the pay-per-view, and they expect people to care about the match. Give me a break. But it was a good match, though, and I'm glad Breeze went over. The Brothers of Destruction versus the Wyatt Family. So this was not a technical masterpiece, like I said on Twitter, but I enjoyed the hell out of it, if only for the Undertaker entrance, which was amazing. Happy 25 to Taker. Um, It's crazy to think it's been that long, but this was totally a showcase for Undertaker and Kane, you know, specifically Taker, but Kane too. 
than it was supposed to be a competitive contest. So I can't say I was disappointed, but like I've said time and time again, I'm the biggest Bray Wyatt supporter in the world. I'm not He's not my favorite wrestler or anything like that, but I love Bray Wyatt because he has a unique gimmick. And he can be, like I know it sounds cliche, but he can be like this generation's Undertaker if they book him properly and they don't have him lose and lose and lose and not back up what he's doing in the ring. You know what I mean? Like he went undefeated Taker for a full year when he won the WWE title for the first time in 1991 at Survivor Series of all places. But Bray Wyatt went undefeated for a cup of coffee in two, uh, in um, yeah 2013 before he lost to Cena. He lost to Jericho. He beat Jericho ultimately, but he lost their first match. He lost to The Undertaker at WrestleMania. He lost to Roman Reigns. He loses again to Taker here. I'm not saying the Wyatt family should have won. Um, I mean, it was a cool moment for Taker as they prepare to kick off seemingly his last hurrah at WrestleMania in Texas, his home his um, home state. But it's just they don't do this guy, Bray Wyatt, or his family and stablemates any favors at all. They just keep on putting him in situations where he's bound and destined to lose and he's not going to get his win back, and when he does, it's in awful fashion. Like, the steel cage match against John Cena at Extreme Rules last year was one of the worst matches I've ever seen in my seven years as a fan. And I know that might not be saying much, but um, for what it's worth, I thought that match was terrible. And Bray Wyatt getting his win back in that match meant absolutely nothing with all the interference, the fact it went like 10 minutes, the in-ring action was terrible, it was just a complete clusterfuck of a match. And he loses again here. So why should I take anything he does or says seriously? Honestly, like from a storyline standpoint, when he says, you know, follow the buzzards on the new face of fear, uh, anyone but Roman, uh, whatever. Why should I take him seriously? Why should I be scared? Why should I feel like he will beat his opponent? And yeah, sure, he beat Roman Reigns once at Battleground, but then he lost when when it mattered most. At the culmination of the feud, he has yet to win a real legitimate feud. And I barely count the one with Ryback, just because it was show, it was so short-lived and it really did nothing for either guy. Ryback got beat clean in that show, and then he went on to win the IC title. Give me a break. I mean, I love Ryback, but the logic of that made absolutely no sense. But regardless, um, they're just not doing this guy any favors at all. He's so talented. He's so good. He could be a money player for this company, but they just keep on shitting on him when it matters most, and it pisses me off. It's ridiculous. But regardless, that was that match and the main event. I mean, I'll try to, you know, give my brief thoughts on this. I know we're kind of running out of time now, but I just thought it was ridiculous. You know, they had a the match that Roman and Dean had, it was good while it lasted, but it lasted nine minutes. It was longer than, it, I'm sorry, it was shorter than every other match on the card with the exception of Brazen Ziggler and, of course, the obvious cash-in. Which, key word there, obvious. Everyone saw it coming. Like I said earlier, WWE desperately needed to hit a home run on Sunday night, and they did not do it. They gave us the most predictable route possible with a Sheamus cash-in. Instead of having Ambrose go heel or Reigns go heel or keeping the title vacant and declaring a new champion at TLC or the Royal Rumble or wherever on Superstars, I don't care. They went with... Roman winning clean in a very disappointing match, not because they didn't have good chemistry, but because they weren't given the time of day to have the match they were capable of. So that was one thing. And then after that, Triple H comes down, and I'll be talking about this in an article that should be up on Bleach Report on Thursday. But he comes down, he congratulates Roman Reigns, blah, 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 blah. Roman Reigns spears him. Sheamus comes down, cashes in on Roman Reigns. He kicks out of one bro kick, couldn't kick out of a second. 
Sheamus is your new WWE World Heavyweight Champion. What the fuck? Like, who cares about Sheamus? And this isn't coming from someone who, oh, I hate Sheamus, so I hate that he's champion. That has nothing to do with that. I like Sheamus. I like Sheamus. I was one of the few people that defended him when he came back as a heel right after WrestleMania. I said, great, this can be a money heel if they book him properly. They didn't book him properly. I was among the few that defended the choice to put the briefcase on him at Money in the Bank pay-per-view. I, that he wasn't my first choice, but I defended the choice to put the briefcase on him because I felt... He hasn't been in the main event scene for a few years. He's a much better heel than he is a babyface, and he's a good worker. If only he can be booked properly. And silly me, he was not booked properly at all. He lost to Orton. He lost to the freaking Lucha Dragons. He lost to every man, every freaking guy in the roster. And they wonder why he comes out to crickets. You know, I, I feel like, I mean, Raw was kind of like the first step. I mean, he got some heat. When he was berating the crowd, which was good. The promo I thought he cut at the start of the show last night was good. But other than that, the guy comes out to just a non-reaction because no one freaking cares. It's not like, oh, the internet hates Sheamus, so they're going to boo the shit out of him. No, it's a case of, I hate him so much, I'm going to change the channel. Or I'm just not going to boo him at all, and he's going to come out to silence. That's not the reaction that you want your world champion to get, folks. The guy's not going to get over if he keeps on losing. You know, I mean, last night was, I guess, a step in the right direction. He didn't wrestle. He had a good promo, but he didn't wrestle. It's just the timing was all wrong. Maybe after WrestleMania, if they booked him properly, I didn't have faith they are going to do that anyway. I just would have had him cashing unsuccessfully. We talked about it on the show like two or three weeks ago. I just thought it was so stupid to have him cashing on Sunday because just the wrong time, and he is not the answer to the low Raw ratings. The Raw rating last night, and I hate the ratings, that's just because there's nothing I can do to control it other than just tuning into Raw myself, and I do every single week. Um, but just the ratings, one of the lowest ratings of all time, they just keep on plummeting. And this is for a post-pay-per-view Raw people. It's not like it was on things. I mean, I know it's a holiday week, but people typically, after a pay-per-view, tune into the pay-per-view, tune into Raw to find out what happened at the pay-per-view or what's next. Look at the Raw rating from last year. Last, uh, last night's Raw... In, in terms of viewership, had less than 3 million people. That's embarrassing. Last year, after Sting debuted, and anyone who thought he was going to be on the show is kidding themselves. Sting didn't show up until Raw like two months later. But on that night, because people thought after what happened at Survivor Series and after the Authority lost power and people were excited to see what's next, they had, I think they grossed at one point in the show, over 4 million viewers. 4 freaking million viewers. And this is not like it's... 10 years ago, 5 years ago, 3 years ago, it's last year. They've lost almost a million viewers in a year. That's embarrassing. That's something they're just not doing right. You can blame DVR and that stuff all you want, like I have in the past, but at the end of the day, it's the freaking creative that people just don't care about. Right now, last night's Raw was so boring, and I'm not one of those people that shits all over these shows. I love WWE. I love wrestling. I consider myself one of the more positive fans in the universe, and if you know that I'm shitting on something, it's gotta be bad. The pay-per-view I enjoyed. Raw was dreadfully boring. And I'll be a TLC. I'm really, really hoping they can pull something out of their ass and pull out and deliver a good show. But so far, I really do not have much hope. We got Sheamus and Reigns in a TLC match. Should be good, but I just couldn't care less about Sheamus' champion right now. And the undercard isn't doing anything for me either. It's not like we have a lousy main event scene and some great undercard feuds. We got Ambrose and Owens. We have Ziggler and Breeze. We got a couple new feuds on the horizon, which is great. But last night's Raw did nothing to make me care about any single one of them. 
So time will tell. I really want to be positive about the product right now. I know Mick Foley said, um, I'm almost on the verge of not being a WWE fan anymore, which speaks volumes coming from someone who's a WWE Hall of Famer and has been watching, um, you know, uh, traditionally has been watching, you know, out of passion for, for years as one of the biggest wrestling fans in the business, the wrestler himself, Mick Foley. If he says that he's not, you know, kind of gradually becoming less of a fan of the product because NXT guys are being called up and they're just being wasted, guys and girls, and like he said in his Facebook post, that people that we genuinely care about, like a Cesaro, who got injured, I mean, I don't have time to talk about it today, which sucks, by the way, but anyway, um, you know, Cesaro, Dolph Ziggler, and Kevin Owens not get treated like the stars that they are, it's disconcerting, and it makes the viewers feel like they don't matter, so why should I tune in? I feel like that's the point that he was trying to make with his post. And um, like I said, the only thing we can really do is hope for the best going forward and that Raw next week will be better than last night. And I feel like that's really a no-brainer because last night was not good. Last night was not a good show. Like, there isn't even something I can pinpoint as like, oh, that was great, check that. Like, there wasn't anything. There was not anything. Like, the opening segment I thought was decent. We got the return of Rusev. They had a good match, uh, Rusev and Reigns, but it did, did nothing to help me scrub away that negative sour taste in my mouth after watching this three-hour board-a-thon. So we'll see what happens next week on the road to TLC as the road to TLC progresses and rolls on. Um, but that's about it. I know we went over the hour mark this week, but I have a lot to say about the pay-per-view. And, of course, the Goldberg interview. That was huge, and thank you guys for enjoying that. would love to know your thoughts on it. And like I said earlier, it will be up on Bleach Report later on in the week. Um, But of course, guys, thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. I very much appreciate it. Have a great Thanksgiving holiday. We got a lot on the horizon in the weeks and months to come. We have Thanksgiving on Thursday, of course, but in the next couple of months, we have a couple big blockbuster interviews that I mentioned at the start of the show. We have uh, a former TNA World Heavyweight Champion coming on in early 2016. We have a current TNA wrestler coming on. Also in early 2016, I might premiere that show on the day they jump to Pop TV. That the timing of that might be perfect. Um, I have a UFC fighter coming on at some point, maybe Christmas week. We'll see. At the end of the year, we have our final show of 2015 with John John Knapp. Follow him on Twitter at JNapp's Ring Wrap. We're breaking down the entire year in 2015. And by the way, next Tuesday or yeah, a week from today, the polls will be open on NextAirWrestlingRight.net right now where you're listening to this show. The polls will be open. For match of the year, superstar of the year, and all the categories are based off just things that I feel like that are worthy. They're not my favorite matches, or just, I mean, some of them are, but a lot of them are what I genuinely feel like are the best superstars of the year. And some people I might leave out, so I apologize for that. And this year, we're only focusing on WWE and NXT. I'm including NXT this year. I did not last year, I don't think. But I am including it this year. Because TNA, nothing happened. Nothing happened to TNA this year. No one saw TNA. No one watches TNA anymore. So why would you vote for Bobby Roode being Superstar of the Year? You know what I mean? Like, no one's going to vote for him. So I just left TNA out out altogether. I know the TNA diehards might get mad at me for that. I apologize, but I'm sure I'll do something else TNA-related. I'm having a couple TNA guys in my show, so hopefully that fulfills that for you. Um, That's the final show of 2015. I'll be breaking down those awards with John and revealing the poll results, and just, you know, reviewing the year of 2015 in WWE, which, as I've said multiple times in the past, will probably go down as my favorite year in wrestling. We'll have to wait and see. Um, But yeah, a lot of big interviews in the horizon. Be sure to check out my written interview with Goldberg this upcoming week, within the next week. I I mean, Thanksgiving's on Thursday, so we'll see when it'll go up, but 
Hopefully, it should be up in the next few days. And I think that's about it. As far as my shameless plugs, you guys can catch me on the Twitter at WrestleRant, on Facebook at Facebook.com backslash Graham.Houston.Matthews. Be sure to give the page an old thumbs up. Find me on YouTube um, at YouTube.com backslash C backslash Graham Matthews. And be sure to check out the rest of this awesome website, NextAirWrestling.net, just, not just because of me, but because of all the people that visit it and contribute work to the site, including at RG underscore Marso, who I will be reuniting with next Tuesday to break down Raw. Another special guest, not a former world champion or anything like that, but a fellow analyst that will be helping us um, look at Raw, review Raw, and you know look at all, look at all the plans and the rest of the bill to TLC as that pay-per-view is a little less than a month away. So with all that being said, folks, have a great rest of your week. Enjoy Thanksgiving on Thursday. In my opinion, probably one of the more underrated holidays of the year. So I'm looking forward to that in just 48 more hours. But until then, guys, have a great one. I'm Graham Jason Matthews, and I'll catch you guys down the road.